wow. I love it, you know, to not just be at church, but to be a church and not just to go to church, but to feel church, right? Yeah, yeah. This morning we're starting a new message series that I'm titling, What's Missing? And each of the next few weeks, we'll take a look at a passage from Scripture and make sure we aren't overlooking an intended idea or purpose or lesson. And by doing so, perhaps we can come a little closer to proper application and take confidence that nothing in this particular area is missing from our understanding. And as Heather shared earlier in this morning's service, this week's Scripture remembers 1 Thessalonians 5.18 from the King James Version. It says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And before we dive into that specific verse, I want to talk about its context and frame it a bit for you. So there's going to be a little bit of a, a scripture lesson as well, right? This passage comes from one of two Testament, New Testament letters attributed to the Apostle Paul that is addressed to the church in Thessalonica. Paul made several missionary journeys, and, and as you can see around the Mediterranean Sea, there were these, these cities, Corinth. Thessalonica, Philippi, Ephesus, uh, Classe, Galatia, you know, and, they, and it's the letters written to these people, the epistles we call them, that, that become the names of these books of the Bibles, Philippians, Thess- Thessalonians, Corinthians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians. Can you guess what the ones written to Romans are? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Front Row, for that. <laughs> Thessalonica was, was the largest and most important city in Macedonia. Its location of being a port city on the Aegean Sea, as you can see up there, made it very important for trade. And the setting also gave it a diverse character. At the time of the New Testament, Thessalonica was inhabited by Greeks and Romans and Jews and and a growing Christian population. And this is described in the book of Acts. And 1 Thessalonians is widely regarded as to be the earliest of the biblical letters written by the Apostle Paul. And along with Silas and Timothy, right, his, his understudies, his protégés, Paul addressed this letter to the fledgling Christian community at Thessalonica. And it was the political capital of Macedonia within the Roman Empire, Roman Empire and, and ro- located uh, on a massive Aegean harbor and on a major highway, a literal Roman road. And as such, Thessalonica became a strategic point for spreading the gospel, as Paul himself appears to confirm in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 or 10. It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. If you would like to follow along your Bible, I'm going to begin reading. Oh, did I turn the wrong page? There we go. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is modern-day Greece. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Right? It's become its testimony. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And the body of this letter, Paul encourages the Thessalonians to remain steadfast in their faith and in hope and love, despite persecuting and suffering and really being mixed among a diverse crowd. Right? This was the earliest, earliest gatherings of Christians that would become the church. 
And the letter appears to address Paul's specific concerns about the Thessalonian Christians rather than provide doctrinal instructions that he may have forgotten to give them in person. And in some of his letters, this was the purpose. He was like, you know, I was there and I told you about this and let me give this additional thought or instruction. But this wasn't one of those letters, okay? He was, he was talking about specific concerns he had for them. And in the opening chapter, um, the, the apostle thanks God for his choosing the Thessalonian Christians. They were called. He, he chose them to be these people. And in uh, verse one, chapter, sorry, chapter one, verse five, he commends their faithfulness and persecution and says that the gospel came to them with power and with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Conviction, just like it does to us. Paul goes on to give his first person account of the time he spent with the Thessalonians and encourages them by reminding them that they are not the only ones who suffer for the gospel of God. In fact, it's in the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians, this first letter he wrote. Paul turns to the news he received from Timothy that the Christians at Thessalonica had persevered in faith. So Paul continues his commendations for them with a number of encouragements for general purity and brotherly love and then discusses the resurrection at the return of the Lord. It is in his contents of his encouragements and appeals that we find the verse we are studying from 1 Thessalonians 5. And if you want to follow along in the NIV or, or the, the Bible of your choosing, but the NIV calls this final instructions, right? So if you'd like to follow along, 1 Thessalonians 5, we're beginning at verse 12. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Now I want to explain the word admonish. It's really holding someone accountable, Right? To, to make sure they're, they're doing what they should be doing and really to, to call them out in love when they need that, right? And we all need that. So to admonish someone is to say, hey, you know, is that really what you want to be doing, what God wants you to do? And you do it in love. In fact, verse 13 says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. You see, Paul was commending them on their faithfulness and all they've gone through, but he's reminding them that, that there's some ongoing things that we must do as Christians. And here's where we find the focus of this week's message. You'll recall this from verse 16. Verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It goes on, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And before you comment that I spelled everything wrong, and Lord knows the MS word tore me apart on this. He kept saying everything is one word. It is one word, but not this way. I know the proper spelling of everything is one word, but... but but here's the thing. However, the Bible was not originally written in English. All right? The Apostle Paul wrote in Greek. So it took the efforts of some English-speaking person hundreds of years later to look at the original word of the author, consider the, the context and the topic and the audience, and the find the closest foreign word translation intended by the message, right? It's translation. And then our American brain has to read with our 21st century interpretation of it, of what we want. 
So you can see the potential issues here. So that's why sometimes we have to not just read scripture, but study it and look at the original language. And so when we look at the original Greek text, when considering what we know about Paul's understanding of God and his knowledge of the people and circumstances of Thessalonica, this word used for everything translates into two words, everything. Not just this collective everything, you know, thank God for everything, but thank God for everything single thing. The NIV and other translations use terms like in every circumstance to kind of capture this or in all things to differentiate between differentiate between for everything collectively and for everything which is every individual thing. We also consider the Greek word for thanksgiving, which is the act of offering thanks or being thankful. Most often this term is connected to God's provision Right? Thank you, God, for, for giving me what I need. His deliverance, thank you for saving me for that. And for God's character, thank you for who you are. Thanksgiving. So a little more history and context for you. <coughs> Offering thanksgiving to the gods was frequent and regular in, in religions of the day. They all gave thanks to God or their deity, whatever they believed. Even the pagans gave thanks. And make many archaeological texts and inscriptions preserve the thanks offered to gods for the favors that the people received. The deities were considered to be the supreme benefactors of humanity, and the obligation of the one who received the bounty was to return thanks, always with the hope of giving, getting more in the future. This is the law of reciprocity, if, if we want to look at it that way. And it dominated the exchange of gives, gifts and thanks. You gave to me, I'm going to thank you, so you're likely to give to me again. And we still, if we're honest, kind of think of this, this way still, at least between people, right? You appreciate it, and maybe I'll do something nice for you again. But the Apostle Paul urges believers to offer thanks to God in all circumstances for everything. And not just simply when we become recipients of some blessing or good from God. You know, and I think this is what drove Paul's instructions on giving tithes and offerings, right? We, we do it not to be for show. We don't do it out of obligation. You know, it's a part of our praise. It's a part of our worship. We don't do it expecting someone to notice we don't do it expecting God to give us more of, of something good or, or it's a prepayment of the next good thing that we want. We do it because we love God. Thank you, God. Uh, you gave me my time, my talent, my energy, my, my finances, and I want to give this in worship and in praise. Not because you did something nice for me before or I expect something nice for me. And we don't buy God's love. That is totally contrary to the Christian message and really what God wants us to know and understand about his love. So this appeal to give thanks is not the same as the calling of the church to give thanks for everything that comes our way, right? We have this universal thank you, God, for everything. As if we were just kind of Stoics who, who believe that this is the next thing, this is the next stage, this is the next good thing, this is the way life is. So, you know, you know thanks that, that life just kind of trucks along. But Paul reminded them and us that whatever happened, whatever we were had or were experiencing, whatever we were had or were feeling, oh, whatever it was was precisely known to God and he is in control and would use it for his good purpose. Every single part of what we're doing. Thank you, God, for that and that and that. Some people simply resign themselves to every situation that came their way, right? Just the way it is. It's fate. It's destiny. You know, do we still do this today? Maybe. 
But the Christian approach is decidedly different since a believer trusts in a sovereign God who can turn any situation, every situation, to their our good. So speaking of the Romans road, we talked about the little Romans road, but the Romans road includes this verse from Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. As Christians, we know and understand that our good and sovereign God can make someone more than triumphant in adversity or other circumstances. He can, he can help us to not just muddle through or survive, but he can actually make us better for this. And, and when we read Romans 8, 31 through 39, it's got the heading, more than conquerors, more than conquerors. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. <coughs> Excuse me. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I love this. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and he quotes scripture here, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But his response to this, he says, verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death nor life New angels, angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everything. Nothing can separate us from love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not just from, not just of, not just through, but in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul encourages the recipients of his letters, the Thessalonians, and, and his readers, us, to give thanks to God is an essential part of our relationship with God. Giving thanks to God has always been a key element in Christian worship. And, and numerous verses, and Jesus quoting them himself, reminded us that giving thanks is a part of our worship. But in verse 18, the focus is on the daily thanksgiving of believers. The call to give thanks in all circumstances remind us that believers are called to always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here the call to thanksgiving is both for everything, everything, and the midst of every situation, however good or adverse it may be. Thanksgiving itself should characterize the life of a Christian. Just as joy and prayer are constants in our lives, so should thanks. And Paul concludes a series of Christian characteristics by explaining that joy, prayer, and thanksgiving or what God has called us to, as I quote, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The will of God is expression of the moral requirements which he calls his people to. So what does God's will in Christ Jesus mean? One theological commentary that I studied offered this explanation. It said, perhaps Paul is referring to the benefits of God as given to humanity in Christ Jesus, such as in his redemption, and eternal life, and the grace of God, or inclusion as people of God. God's will in Christ Jesus 
would not be God's will as demonstrated just by Jesus' life or made known by Jesus. Rather, it is his gracious gift. It is in his gracious gift, the blessing of his will, which was given to us to follow. Explained in this way, God's call expressed in his will is part of his gift to us. You are blessed by being drawn in the kingdom by doing his will in Christ Jesus. The reason the apostle Paul gives us for this call to joy, prayer, and thanksgiving is the strongest and highest imaginable for the Christian. These are not optional secondary characteristics of the Christian's existence, but stand at the center of God's plan for his people in Christ Jesus to be people of joy, to be people of prayer, to be people that are always thankful for, by, and in every circumstance, every situation. So what's missing? What may be missing? Are we giving thanks? Maybe we are. Are we doing it often? Are we doing it appropriately? Are we doing it for everything? And are we giving not just for everything, like the global thing? Thank you, Lord, for everything. As a collective, which we should, but also for everything, every moment, every experience, every blessing, every provision, and yes, even every lesson and every adversity too. Thank you, Lord. I know I'm gonna be made stronger for this. Thank you, Lord, my faith will get better and deeper for this. It's hard. It's hard, but it, it changes our perspective when we can do that. Thank God for who he is, not just for what he can do for us, but for who he is. And I'd like to conclude with the words that Apostle used to close his first letter to the Thessalonians. Continue where he left off. So this is First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And let's make this our prayer as I make it our benediction as well. Would you bow your heads? It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.